historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Today's episode is called The End of the Jewish State. That sounds a bit dramatic, I would say overdramatic, but you should know that there are people in Israel that truly believe the character of the Jewish state is about to end. Let me go into that a little bit. The new Israeli government has been in place for only a couple of weeks, and already there is harsh and blunt condemnation. That, of course, is coming from the opposition. That's their job description, so I wouldn't expect any less. But the most ferocious attacks are coming actually from the ultra-Orthodox political leaders. Ultra-Orthodox is never a word I liked. Um, it's a word in English. It doesn't really describe the group of people um, living in Israel. I, I prefer to, to call them the Haredim, which is a Hebrew word. And for lack of better translation, Haredi or Haredim in plural means God-fearing. The biggest attack came from the political leadership of the Haredim. Although in Hebrew, listen to the next five seconds, which is only a short part of an ongoing rampage at the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, by one of the Haredi politicians. Moshe Gafni of United Torah Judaism, a political party, of course, in the Knesset. And Moshe Gafni has served in the Knesset for 33 years. Almost all of them, he was in the government until now. Moshe Gafni uses the word, if you noticed it in Hebrew, rasha. Rasha means basically evil. Realize that in Judaism, especially in the Torah, in the Bible, the word rasha is usually used for people like the pharaoh in Egypt that held the Jews as slaves, or Haman of Persia, who the holiday of Purim celebrates the fact that Haman did not succeed in killing the Jews of Persia. In other words, the rasha, evil, is a pretty bad word to use against someone who is supposed to be your Jewish brother. Gaffney went on to say that Bennett, our prime minister, and I quote, never have we had such a thing happen. This is a war over whether we will be God-abiding Jews or blasphemous. Bit strong, right? Another political leader named Yaakov Litzman, who is part of a Hasidic movement called the Gur, G-U-R, Gur Hasidic Movement. He also belongs to a list called Agudat Israel, again, in the Knesset. He served in the Knesset for 22 years, almost all of them, just like Gafni, as part of the government until now. And here's what he had to say. He said, and I quote, What we are witnessing right in front of our eyes is a radical left-wing government without any values or morals. And if, I, if you don't mind me saying, uh, he obviously has the barometer over values and morals. The Jewish character of Israel, he says, has been wiped out. And he continues, I am not just talking about conversions or army draft, drafting, being drafted into the army, but the entire world of Torah. God forbid they should also recognize, you ready for this? Reform Judaism. A third leader, whose name is Arya Deri. Now, Arya Deri is 62 years old, and he first served at the Knesset, at the Israeli parliament, when he was at the age of 25. He's been in the Knesset since, other than in the year 2000, he was accused for taking bribe, he stood trial, found guilty, and he was convicted of taking $155,000 in bribes while he served as the interior minister. As an anecdote, you should know that his public, his constituents, were convinced he was framed. He wasn't. He actually admitted to it later. And this may sound strange to you, but Israeli law enabled him to return to politics and the Knesset. And so in 2013, he returns. He becomes a member of parliament, and he still is a member of parliament. And here's what he had to say. The state of Israel is in danger. They are destroying what we have built for 70 years. 
Are they serious, these three leaders? Is the Jewish state really in danger? Is the Jewish character of Israel about to be wiped out? Or are they using extreme rhetoric because they are in total panic? I must say, and I will express my opinion here, give me a break. Of course they're panicking. These three even termed the new government as anti-Semitic. They termed observant Jews who are serving in the government as anti-Semitic. Totally, totally ridiculous. The Jewish state is in no danger. Perhaps quite the contrary. Worst that can happen, and I say worse sarcastically, is that pluralism may just take place or start taking place in Israel. So why are they panicking? In order to understand that, let's break down a little bit. So first of all, the constituents of the Haredim are extremely frustrated and even angry at their leadership. Why is that? Well, here's one example. When COVID hit Israel, and Israel, as you may know, was the first and one of the first, very rapid, very quick vaccinations. Having said that, the Haredi leadership was also panicked and troubled by COVID, not because they were afraid that people were going to die. People did die. There was a high percentage of Haredi death. But the reason they were panicking is because they were worried that their young people in quarantine would somehow stray away from the world of Torah, from yeshiva, which is the school for studying Torah, and from even maybe listening to the leadership. And so the Haredi leadership preferred, and they actually kept their schools open, that people go to school, you know, they may get COVID, they may give it to their grandparents who may die, but it is more dangerous to them to not go to school and be in quarantine and therefore maybe straying away from the world of Torah, as I said, than it is to actually get sick. You have to understand the culture of thinking, very different tools than most people use, but if you live in that world, you can actually understand that. So that's one reason why the constituents are frustrated and angry. Another is because of the biggest civil tragedy that happened in Israel. 45 people had died stampede to death in a celebration called Lagba Omer, which is a Jewish holiday, on Mount Meron, which is a, a mountain in the uh, northern Galilee, in the upper northern Galilee. This site is not state-run. Uh, several nonprofits that run it. To be honest with you, I've run by there. I like running, so I run by there. It looked like third world. It was a tragedy. Offense is the best defense. The Haredi leadership pushed for people to be able to go to Mount Meron, as many as possible, even though it was still COVID time, even though the, the place can't really hold more than a few thousand. When I say offense is the best defense... That is because they're attempting to steer the conversation away from the tragedy and onto the political leadership that exists today in the Israeli government. That's a second point. A third point is interesting because the change government, this new government, again, only been around for a couple of weeks, wanted the Haredi political parties, these three leaders, as a matter of fact, to be in the government with them. But Benjamin Netanyahu, which today sits in the opposition, was convinced and convinced the Haredi leadership that there's not going to be a new government, that they're never going to make it. They're never going to be able to establish a government. So stay with me and just wait it out. They did. They stayed. They waited it out. They bought Netanyahu's story hook, line, and sinker and sank with it. How do they explain that to their public? And the fourth reason I'll give you that their public is angry and frustrated is due to housing. Israel is a country with some of the highest expense of living in the world. Buying an apartment in Israel is expensive. The Haredi population, when they get married and they get married young, they must buy an apartment because that is when the parents will help a little bit, organizations will help them a little bit, they'll take some mortgage, and they'll buy inexpensive apartments. If you wait until a few years after you're married, you're not going to get the same help. The Haredi population buys apartments for around $200,000. That's nothing in Israel. 
a young couple that's buying a very small apartment of less than a thousand square feet will pay twice as much as that. So they'll pay at least four hundred thousand, probably five hundred thousand dollars. Some of the Haredi young couples and others are frustrated with the pricing. And since the leadership has been in government for many years, and since the leadership has a lot of had a lot of power in government, they could have changed this. They could have changed this by flooding. Israel with, um, with, with, with land for building. Uh, most of Israeli land is considered agricultural land and therefore it's not for construction. But you can change that. The government can change that and they didn't, which means that the prices kept going up. Some of the Haredi young couples say, we bought a, and it's true that, they, that we bought a storage room and we are living out of a storage room. We feel like we're already buried underground. Not much, le- not much there left, which is pretty harsh. And that's another reason for them to be frustrated with their leadership. So the leadership went on the offense and they decided to try to stir the conversation, as I mentioned before, to the new government and its faults rather than stand up to their own inabilities. Context is always important. So I want to give you some context and say the following. In 2009, there was a close race for the government between a woman named Tsipi Livni, who actually was able to get 28 seats in a party called Kadima, political party called Kadima, and Benjamin Netanyahu and his party called the Likud, who actually received one seat less in the parliament, received 27 seats. The, both of these people, both Tsipi Livni and Benjamin Netanyahu, knew that in order for them to form a government, they need the Haredi political parties with them. And they both courted them. And they both promised them lots of money, lots of budgets for their schools, lots of money for housing, etc. Bibi, however, that's Benjamin Netanyahu, the strategist, very shrewd politician, did the math and understood the power base, understood that the Haredi world, he needs them long term. And so what he offered them is more than just money. He offered them key roles in running the country of Israel, gave them key roles, an example the interior ministry, the health ministry, the ministry of development of the Negev and the Galilee, right? That's the periphery area. And that's where the constitu- a lot of the constituents is from. So that's a kind of office that, they, of course, they want. The Haredi politicians, specifically Arya Deri, sat on the security cabinet of Israel, even though he only served three months in the Israeli Defense Force, and that was just for show. So they actually sit on the security cabinet. It's a very, very important cabinet, of course. And of also the ministry of the economy was given to them. But maybe the most important committee that the Haredi political leadership ran was the finance committee. Why is it so important? Because this committee deals with the state budget. It deals with all types of taxes. It deals with customs, duties, and excise. It deals with loans. It deals with matters related to foreign currency, with banking and bank notes, and with state revenue and expenditures. Look, if I want to break it down, if you're a politician in the Israeli parliament, one of 120, you are going to kiss the bottom of anyone who is the head of the finance committee. The Haredi political leadership had the finance committee with them for years. The question is, you know, is the government, this new government, really threatening the Haredim? Is it really that scary? Is it really a threat to the Torah world? Is it really a threat to their way of life? The answer unequivocally is no. Why do I say that? Because there's a law in Israel that is called the status quo. The status quo is something that was decided upon in 1948 when Israel was established. And the status quo basically says that it recognizes the need for diverse Jewish populations to live together. And this status quo law included four major issues. One of them is kosher laws. Any government office, including the Israeli Defense Forces, will always have kosher food, which makes total sense because if even if you have just one religious observant Jew who eats kosher food, 
they should be able to eat kosher food in the government office or in the Israeli Defense Forces. Total makes sense. And that hasn't been changed. Another is observing the Shabbat, the Sabbath, the Shabbat, in public places. And the decision was that if there was already public transportation in a certain city, let's say Haifa on the Carmel in Israel, had public transportation before the state of Israel was established. And therefore, the status quo said they can continue having public transportation. But if, they, if the city didn't have public transportation, like Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, then they wouldn't have public transportation on the Sabbath. And that was maintained and kept. The third uh, part of the status quo law says that the Haredi population is able to maintain autonomous freedom of education among the religious schools, which again are known as yeshiva or yeshivot in plural. They can determine their own curriculum and they can teach Torah and Gemara and Talmud and Mishnah in their schools without the state of Israel, the government of Israel, the, the Ministry of Education infiltrating into the curriculum and saying, no, no, you got to study X or Y. And the fourth, the rabbinical courts, there are rabbinical courts in Israel, courts as in court of law, they have exclusive rights over marriage and divorce. You can't really get married in Israel unless you get married under the observant law, and you can't really get divorced in Israel unless, you get, unless you're divorced under the observant law. And of course, I'm talking about the Jewish population here. These four are still maintained. They haven't changed. The government, the new government says, we're not changing these. So the status quo remain the same. Incidentally, the budgets to the Haredi community that were in the last years of the last governments are also maintained. None of that's been cut. So what are they complaining about? There are three issues that may have some change in them. And they're not really major issues. One of them is conversion. When I say conversion, I don't mean that the new government says, all right, from now on, anyone can convert uh, you know, non-Jews into Judaism. That's not the way it works. All they are offering this new government is that municipal rabbis, and these municipal rabbis are observant religious rabbis. The municipal rabbis will be able to perform conversions. That's one idea that they may pass. They may not, but that's one idea. Another idea is with the kosher laws, there's always a mashgiach. A mashgiach is a person who makes sure that a certain restaurant or a certain place of food doesn't break the laws of being kosher. What this new government may do is open this role up for competition for others, not just for the Haredi population to be the mashgichim in plural. And the third issue that may have some change is the chief rabbis of Israel. There are two chief rabbis of Israel. One is Eshkenazi. Um, Eshkenazi is usually Western Europe other than Spain and Eastern Europe, Jews that came from there, and Sephardic, Jews who came from the either Arab, uh, Muslim, Arab-speaking countries. These are Sephardic Jews, and so there's also a chief Sephardic rabbi. That was always in the hands of the Haredim, where now it may be in the hands of modern Orthodox Jews. Of course, the Haredi political leadership does not like that in the least bit. These are not significant changes. It doesn't change the life of a Haredi Jew in Israel. It doesn't change the life of the community. But it is significant if you are afraid of losing your monopoly. The Haredi leadership has had a monopoly over all of these and much more for a long time. And this is frightening. And that's why they're panicking. The Haredi leadership are experienced. They're shrewd. They're very shrewd. Like I said, they've been serving for years and years in the Knesset. They are no, as we call it in Hebrew, Freyerim. If you can say that word, that's pretty good. Freyerim. What does Freyerim mean? It means uh, basically translated as suckers. They're not suckers. The reason I use this word is because never call an Israeli a Freyer, a sucker. You can curse his mother, and that's better than calling him a sucker. These guys, these Haredi politicians, are not suckers. Therefore, they will attempt to use their power or any power they have while in the opposition to achieve two major things. One is to negotiate with the new government. Negotiate with the new government over laws that are important to them. Like, for instance, not drafting their population to the Israeli army, which is for a whole other podcast, which we'll do at one point. 
obviously not cutting their budgets, which we already said are not really being cut. The change government's going to want the Haredim to vote with them on issues. And the Haredim will say, you want us to vote with you? Perhaps we will. You know, there are certain things that we can vote with you on if you give us what we want. And so therefore, like I said, they're shrewd politicians. They're going to negotiate with this change government and the change government is going to give them. It's a give and take and they will give and they will take. I'll say more than that and I'll end with this. There's a strong possibility that if this current government doesn't fall in the next year or two, the Haredi political leadership, the Haredi political parties, will decide to join this government, even though they call them anti-Semites. They'll decide to join them and to have more power. There's already talk about how come we're in opposition, we should be in the government as we were in the past. That just may happen in the Israeli somewhat crazy political system. So that was today's episode on the end of the Jewish state, which once again, no worry, no end of the Jewish state. I hope you tune in to our next podcast. Thank you.